Hello and welcome to the new Dunking with Wolves podcast. My name is Ben Beacon and I am one of the co-editors of Dunking with Wolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves site on the fan-sided network. This is the third iteration of the Dunking with Wolves podcast. We're excited to get this podcast rolling once again after a brief hiatus. Uh, It's the weekend after the 2018 NBA draft, and as you know by now, the Timberwolves selected Georgia Tech's Josh Okogie with the 20th pick and Ohio State forward Keita Bates-Diop with the 48th pick um, in the second round. So we wanted to to recap the draft a little bit, talk about those selections, and um, briefly get into um, free agency, which starts about a week from now. Hope you enjoy it. Going into Thursday night's NBA draft, um, it was widely expected that the Timberwolves would pick a a wing player, a 3-and-D type, somebody with some athleticism and some three-point shooting ability. Um, With the 20th pick in the draft, um, there was some growing sentiment after general manager Scott Layden and um, team president and head coach, of course, Tom Thibodeau, held a press conference uh, middle of the week um, prior to the draft that they would consider trading down because it, they felt it was a deep draft. So there was certainly some some thought that that might happen. As the way the draft shook out, it was pretty much according to form, um, certainly for the first 10, 12 picks or so, really the only surprise was Michael Porter Jr. Um, out of Missouri dropped all the way to number 14 to Denver. Um, at one point, Sacramento had even talked about taking him second in the draft. So it was certainly a surprise that he was still on the board in the late lottery. So Denver ended up taking him at 14. Um, and somewhat surprisingly, the likes of Zaire Smith was still on the board from Texas Tech, um, Lonnie Walker from Miami. Um, so really, we were sitting at pick 15 um, with only four picks between the Timberwolves, um, actually uh, five picks between the Timberwolves, uh, the 15th pick and the Timberwolves at number 20. Um, Lonnie Walker was on the board. Zaire Smith was on the board. Dante DiVincenzo from Villanova. Um, Kevin Herter uh, from Maryland was on the board. All players that um, at one point or another mock drafts had, had you know, listed the Timberwolves as considering with the number 20 pick. As it turned out, all four of those guys went back to back to back to back, um, not in that exact order, but they all went um, right before the Timberwolves, um, which meant that none of the four of them were on the board um, at number 20. So there was certainly a thought with the Wolves on the clock that perhaps they would trade back um, to try and pick up a Grayson Allen or, or a Keita Bates-Diop or Chandler Hutchison, um, you know, and, and, Personally, I was hoping that they weren't going to reach for any of those guys right there at 20 when obviously they were all they were all dropping. Um, and then what they ended up doing was they just hooked Josh Okogie, who had worked out in Minnesota, and, and we'd seen that that's certainly something that was important to the Timberwolves brass, um, that they picked somebody that worked out, or that's at least what the sentiment had been among local media. Um, and other than working out for the Timberwolves, and, and dozens of guys did, there was really no steam surrounding Okogie going to Minnesota. Um, and, and so it was a little bit out of left field. As it turned out, Okogie seemingly is the perfect prospect um, for what the Timberwolves are looking for. Um, we wrote about this in our in our immediate reaction back on Thursday night at Dunking with Wolves. Um, he's six foot five with a seven foot wingspan. Um, that's huge. That's a you know that that differential between his height and wingspan is significant, um, and it means that he can do a lot of things on the court from a versatility standpoint, um, guarding the pick and roll, um, and, and just clogging passing lanes and and things of that nature. Um, he's got a 42 inch vertical, which was tied for the, um, the biggest vertical in the, at the combine with DiVincenzo. Um, they both jumped 42 inches that led the combine in, in the max vertical. Um, so again, athleticism, um, with length, um, with that wingspan of seven feet. Um, some of those, some of, some of those items are exactly what you're looking for in today's three and D wing in today's, um, you know, supporting role player, um, that can, that can play in the rotation on a contending team. 
um, as you know, as I dug a little bit more into it, I found that there's a very clear comparison with Jimmy Butler. Um, he is smaller than Jimmy Butler um, in terms of height. He's got a much bigger wingspan um, and is probably more athletic. He certainly had a larger vertical than Butler did at the combine by by a few inches. Um, so there's some more athleticism bigger wingspan, but in terms of what he did on the court as a player at Georgia Tech compared to what Jimmy Butler did at Marquette, um, very similar. There's a lot of similarities there. And also just watching some of the highlights um, and even some of the game, actual game tape of what Okogi did at Georgia Tech, very similar to how Jimmy Butler plays, more of that bulldog type mentality. Um, you know, that his step back jumper looks a little bit like Jimmy Butler's, his ability to finish at the rim through contact um, and sometimes maybe finish lower um, than he could, you know, finish underneath the rim. Um, which is a little bit surprising and, and maybe one of my slight concerns with the Kogi is it doesn't watching the film of him, he didn't look like somebody who could have a 42 inch max vertical because it didn't seem like he utilized it that often. Um, and, but he did finish okay through contact and he's a good free throw shooter. Um, we dealt with this on our Friday morning, um, uh, recap of the draft, the similarities between Butler and a Kogi, um, and the percentages and, and, Standing alone, field goal percentage, free throw percentage, three-point percentage doesn't tell a huge story, um, but all those numbers were eerily similar from Akogi in college, his two years at Georgia Tech to Butler's three years at Marquette. Um, very, very similar within within a tenth of a percent, I believe it was, on free throws. Um, so, you know, does that mean much? Eh, maybe not, but but there's certainly some similarities there, and, and, you, and I'm sure that Tom Thibodeau knows that. And it wouldn't shock me if he went to his analytics guys and said, hey, just give me a profile of the guy that's most like Jimmy Butler in this draft. Certainly, Okogie would be on that list. Um, so it's, it's, it's really intriguing that that's the guy that they ended up with, um, that there's that many similarities. And, and you can go read that article from Friday, and, and there were plenty of, plenty of things that we, that we talked through um, that, that looked really similar between those two guys. And then the, the other thing that you'll see if you look at scouting reports on Akogi, um, the toughness, the willingness to play hard, to get his nose dirty, dirty, to dive on the floor, to play tough defense, those are all things that are a little bit less tangible. You just need to watch the guy as a player to know um, versus obviously just looking at a stat sheet. Um, and it's something that Jimmy Butler has, some of those intangibles. Um, and and Akogi has those. And so that's certainly something that would have come through in pre-draft interviews and in, you know, the background work talking to teammates and coaches and, and past teammates and coaches from high school or AAU or whatever it might be that Thibodeau and Leighton would have discovered is that this guy's personality is very similar to that of, of a player that, uh, that, you know, obviously they like a lot in Jimmy Butler. Um, and there was even a video floating around um, a, that Okogi did an interview when he was in college about the NBA player he's most like right now. And he named Jimmy Butler, um, which is, which is crazy. I, I didn't see that video until after I had, I'd written about the similarities there. So, um, and obviously there's the parallel of, Late first round draft pick, um, likely a Kogi won't play more than a little bit, you know, on defense, similar to maybe what Marcus Georges Hunt did last year with the Wolves um, as an undrafted rookie, also from Georgia Tech, coincidentally. Um, and then also what Butler did in his rookie year in Chicago, um, as I think he was a 22 year old rookie. Um, you know, a Kogi's not quite that old, but, you know, similar, um, similar late first round pick, college guy with a little bit of experience, and his calling card's going to be defense right away. So, um, Intriguing pick, certainly, you know, a guy who could be a 3 and D type player. Um, he had a high usage rate at Georgia Tech. He was being asked to do a lot on a, on a sub-500 team, which led to a lot of turnovers. And, and my guess is that, you know, that won't be the case in the NBA. He's not going to be asked to carry the load, um, even for the second unit, certainly. Um, and so if he can be a spot-up shooter and a tough defender and, you know, um, pitch in where needed on offense, then then that's going to be a great a great pick, you know, certainly outstanding for a rookie. Um 
after the pick was made at 20, um, there certainly was some sentiment that the Wolves could try and trade back into the end of the first round. There were some names on the board, whether it be Kyrie Thomas, um, Jacob Evans, um, there were, you know, Kata Bates, the app again, all guys that, that were expected to go late in the first round. Most of them did. Thomas was second round, early second round. Um, and then Bates Diop was still on the board um, as the Timberwolves didn't trade back in. Um, they, they stayed, they stayed where they were um, and didn't select to get until pick 48, um, the 18th pick of the second round. And sure enough, Bates Diop was still on the board and they ended up taking him. Um, Kata Bates Diop is a, you know, a, a big forward. He won big 10 player of the year um, for Ohio state. He only played in a handful of games. I think it was nine games as a junior. He had a stress fracture in his leg, which is one of the concerns I think as to why he slipped. Um, and then also he's older. Teams are certainly less likely to draft four year guys um, in today's NBA because they're trying to project out these 18, 19, 20 year olds versus someone who has, you know, less of a prime, you know, upcoming still. Um, but, but, the positives for Bates Diop certainly are his positional versatility at his size with his wingspan, um, his combine numbers, um, not super athletic, but um, if you compare those to Draymond Green, this is something else I wrote about at Dunking with Wolves. They're nearly identical. In fact, some of the agility testing and the, the three-quarter court sprint, some of that stuff is actually better than Draymond Green. Um, so athleticism to me, and I'm not saying he is Draymond Green, there's certainly some things that don't show up in, in combine testing, um, whether it be understanding defensive positioning, um, you know, th- things of that nature. Also motor, Draymond Green never had an issue with motor, and that's probably the primary concern with Bates Diop is does he play hard all the time? Will he play hard all the time? And, um, you know, if, if you, you can't set that aside, but if you do, some of those measurables are nearly identical. You know, both four-year players in the Big Ten, both won player of the year in the Big Ten as a senior, um, you know, on, on a really good team. So that there's certainly some parallels there. Um, the other thing that would be a, a major difference would be the rebounding rate is okay, not quite as good as Draymond's was in college. The assist rate is far lower, and obviously Draymond Green plays a point-forward type of role at times with the Warriors, has always been a high assist guy in the NBA, um, but had a good assist rate in college as well, and uh, Bates Diop did not really at Ohio State for what he did. Now, he wasn't asked to do the same thing as Draymond Green had been asked to do at Michigan State. He wasn't really playing a point-forward role at any point, um, and at times was just asked to score for the sake of scoring, and um, you know it, it certainly won't be the same role he plays in the NBA. Um, so not a major concern, but something that's notable. Um, the biggest exciting thing about Bates Diop is that positional versatility, the combination of length, um, with his height, he can probably guard three positions, you know, certainly the three and, and probably the four, maybe even some twos in the NBA. Um, the switchability that, that that will bring on the defensive end, it's today's, um, you know, today's wing in the NBA. He's an okay shooter, um, and, and that's certainly going to be helpful, um, you know, coming off the bench for the Timberwolves. And, and my, my guess is he's going to be playing mostly in a, in situational, um, you know, as a situational player, he shot about 36% from three senior year in college, which, you know, is that going to translate? I don't know. He's, you know, if he's a 30, 32% three point shooter and can hit an open three, if asked, that's probably enough. Um, you know, they're not going to come in and ask him to be a sharpshooter. Um, off the bench in, in short minutes. But I think the flexibility that that will bring, especially if somebody like Nemanja uh, Bielitsa uh, leaves in restricted free agency this summer, having a guy like Bates Diop that can guard some fours, um, you know, and, and he is only six, seven, but I, I would think some small ball fours, he would, he should be able to guard with his wingspan and, and agility. Um, 
and certainly a lot of threes. You know, the, again, the switchability is the key. So um, that's one of the reasons why he was such an exciting prospect. Um, again, not the same as Draymond Green, but there's enough similarities that with a second-round pick, it would be kind of silly to, to just ignore the fact that there are a lot of similarities. There's there's a lot of parallels that you can draw. Um, and if nothing else, that combination of height and wingspan and production in the Big Ten um, is something that's probably going to translate, at least on some level, um, to the NBA. And uh, the 48th pick in the draft is certainly a time when you'd want to take somebody like that. Overall, it's hard to see how the draft could have gone better for the Timberwolves. Um, you know, it would have been nice to maybe shed some salary. There was some talk that the Wolves would look to, to trade Gorgie Jang um, and pick up some sort of asset along the way, as well as shading the contract. There was some talk, I think, spurred on by Jerry Zagoda at the Star Tribune um, about maybe the Atlanta Hawks trying to get rid of Kent Bazemore. The Wolves could trim, you know, a year off the, the salary commitment if they had brought him in, and he's a 3-and-D type wing, um, if that would have been a possibility. Or, or maybe it was Qualdrich, who they'll probably buy out later this week anyways. Um, his buyout date is going to be June 30th, so um, they'll be able to buy him out for a couple million Otherwise, he'll be on the books for over seven next year, and, and it seems almost certain that they'll do that um, to save a few million under the cap. So, really, if you know, outside of shedding some salary, they got two guys that fit exactly what they're looking for. Um, they didn't give up any assets; they just stood where they needed to be in the draft and seemed to be in a pretty good spot. Um, you know, Gorgie Jang is one of the guys they're, they're going to look at moving. It seems really unlikely they move Andrew Wiggins, but you can't completely rule that out. Um, and then they'll clear some space by cutting Aldrich. So we're going to, later in this week, we're going to do a podcast regarding free agency, um, look at some um, potential targets for the Wolves. Um, right now, they really just have their exceptions to use, um, the mid-level exception to try and add somebody to the roster, um, with Jamal Crawford opting out, as that will become official here in the next week as well. Um, so we'll look at some potential replacements and how the Wolves are going to cobble a bench together um, after Crawford, you know, is hitting free agency. Bielitz is a restricted free agent. They're considering moving Gorgie Jang. Um, there's always the possibility they move Tyus Jones. You never know. Um, so we're going to recap that, um, or I guess uh, more accurately preview that and see what's out there on the free agent market that the Timberwolves are going to look at at potentially bringing in what Tom Thibodeau and Scott Layden might be up to and see if between now and then there's any rumors. Uh, remember last year, uh, Ricky Rubio was traded right before free agency, um, or I guess really right after free agency it was agreed to, um, and then Jeff Teague was signed immediately. Um, so that, you know, there certainly could be something in the works that, that the front office is planning. Um, we will make sure to to preview that um, and to be all over it as we enter free agency. And obviously we'll have plenty of content um, throughout the week leading up to free agency. Um, you know, we'll, we'll be looking at the top three to five players at each position that the Wolves could look at adding realistically and also maybe some potential trades that could be out there. Again, this is the new Dunking with Wolves podcast. My name is Ben Beacon, one of the editors here at Dunking with Wolves. Um, we'll be back with you later in the week to talk about free agency. In the meantime, Have a great week.